Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. So good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's so good to be back. Um, I hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving this year. I know that we did, and Joy is an amazing cook. She just spends the whole day cooking, and, and uh, you know, if I, can, if I can say, you've came a long way. You've came a long <laughs> when, when we first got married, uh, she just wasn't, didn't know how to cook yet. Frozen burritos and ramen, and, and like, I think we graduated to like spaghetti, and, but, but in all seriousness, now she's like such an amazing cook, so it's kind of funny to, to think where you came from. So I wanted to say, what's that? Well done. Well done. <laughs> I wanted to say uh, thank you to Becky Noy. Where's Becky? There she is, right there. Thank you. She did all the Christmifying of our church, so thank you, Becky. Looks so good, it really does. You have such a, a, a touch when it comes to that stuff, and so very much appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. So okay, I have I have one joke, one joke for you this morning. So, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. I hope you had some Kerrygold butter. Anybody have Kerrygold butter? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Me too. It's like it's blasphemous now in our house to not have Kerrygold on Thanksgiving, especially. So I just want to be, I, I want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, you know, I'm your pastor. I want to, I want to encourage you this morning. So I, I know that we have a few keto people in our church. And, uh, you know, keto says that sugar is your enemy. But Jesus says to love your enemy. <laughs> Case closed. Case closed right there. <laughs> sorry, Colton. <laughs> I stand on the word, Colton. I'm sorry. I have to stand on the word. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that, um, God, it's okay to laugh in church. It's okay to, uh, to be excited. We just thank you the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. So there's a whole lot of joy when the kingdom comes. God, we just ask that we would just increase in joy, that we would increase, God, in just the, the knowledge of you, God and that um, our joy increases in the process. And I just pray over this message, God, that you're just um, speaking directly to our hearts, God, raising us up to be the people that you've called us to be and created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today is a great day for an upgrade. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you guys ready for an upgrade? Today is a great day for an upgrade. Um, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus kept increasing in grace and in favor and in wisdom with God and with men. And how many know that scripture is for you? That's not just to tell us how amazing Jesus was. Jesus said, the things that I do, you're going to do. Jesus showed us an example of a powerful Christian walk. Amen. 
So that scripture, you can grab onto it. We don't want to just read scriptures and be like, well, that was for them. We're like, no, that's mine. I'm taking that. So you can declare that over yourself. I'm increasing in grace and in favor and in wisdom and in stature is what it says. Wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. That's actually what God wants for your life. As Jesus grows inside of you, we all have Jesus in our heart. And as Jesus expands, you will increase in grace and stature and in favor with God and with men. So it's going to be an amazing day. God has an upgrade for you today. If you just grab onto it, let's start in Proverbs. I'm going to start in Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's, that scripture just struck me this week. It's like the fear of the Lord is, it's the starting point of wisdom, it's the starting point of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. And, and the word, our English word fear doesn't really do justice to this word fear. Um, this word fear, that, that Hebrew word for fear there, it implies reverence. It implies worship. It implies awe. And so even this morning when we're entering into worship, it's like we're entering into the fear of the Lord. It's like as, as we worship, it's like that's the beginning of knowledge. Why else would we worship if we didn't have awe for God, if we didn't think he was so amazing? It's like we're, we're inspired by him, we're in awe of him, and we worship him. And even as we worship, we're entering into the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So God wants us to grow in wisdom, and he wants us to grow. Last week, I spoke a message called, Now What? And if you missed it, you can hear it on the church podcast. And I want to say thanks to Brandon Trask. Um, he is, uh, he's been helping us get our church podcast back up and running. And so that is up. And if you missed it, you can check that out on our church podcast. You can get to it through awakenlifechurch.net. But I talked about Ephesians chapter 4 where it says that we are to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Sign me up for that. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is the fullness of Christ? Well, we can take, I think one thing that helps us with understanding the fullness of what Jesus did for us is understanding the word salvation when it's mentioned in the New Testament. It's actually the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's the Greek word sozo, and it doesn't just mean, sometimes we can reduce salvation to, I'm, I'm not going to go to hell now, I'm going to heaven. And if we reduce it to that, we're going to miss out on a whole lot of what Jesus actually did for us. So the Greek word sozo, it actually means saved, healed, and delivered. So Jesus saved you from hell, from death, from sin, and from the grave. But then Jesus, it also says that Jesus healed you. And what that means is Jesus paid for your physical healing, one, he paid for your physical healing. And by the way, I just want to encourage you, if you have anything wrong in your body, and let's, sometimes we have something wrong in our body, and we go and we get prayed for once, and we're like, well, I didn't get healed, so I guess God doesn't want to heal it, and we just kind of give up on it. That's the trap of the enemy, to be like, he wants you to give up on it, because he wants you to stop declaring what's rightfully yours. Jesus paid for your physical healing. 
I had a, t- I had a time, and I've, I've talked about this a few times, but I had a, a back injury that God healed overnight. Uh, I, I injured it on Friday, and he healed it on Saturday night in my sleep. But I had another time where I had back pain, and, and it, was, it lasted for about a year. And every week, every opportunity I had, I would go up and get prayer. And also, in addition to getting prayer from, from powerful people, we believe in getting prayer from powerful people, powerful anointed people. By the way, you're all powerful anointed people. In addition to that, I was declaring my healing on my own. I was just declaring, God, I believe I'm healed, and, and I'm, I'm healthy, and I'm healed. I, my back is healthy. I would just declare over it. My back is healthy. It'd be just in pain. And I'd be like, my back is healthy, and it's healed. And I, w- I was coming into agreement with God's word. And after about a year, it finally was actually healed. So I just want to encourage you just to grab onto, uh, if you need physical healing, contend for it. Like, don't give up after, you know, one time someone prayed for you. Keep going after it. Keep going after it. It's actually our faith that pleases God. So when we stand in faith, when we're not seeing it, that's actually pleasing to God. Amen? So sozo means saved, healed, and delivered. So God wants us physically healed, but he also wants us emotionally healed. How many know God cares about your emotions? He cares about your emotions. David said, you restore my soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. God cares about your emotions, and he wants to heal you emotionally. And so part of the salvation that we received within that salvation is that we can be physically healed, but we can also be emotionally healed. God wants to go into those deep areas in our heart and heal us emotionally. And then it also says that we are delivered that means delivered from the oppression of the enemy, delivered from fear. You, I've probably heard, I've said my story about being set free from the spirit of fear and intimidation. But we're delivered from fear, we're delivered from anxiety, we're delivered from the spirit of rejection. By the way, God's been speaking to me about the spirit of rejection. I'm probably going to speak about that next week. But we've been, Jesus paid the price for us to be set free in all of those ways. And so we want to begin to step into the fullness of what he's paid for. When we receive sozo salvation, we can expect to begin to receive the fullness of the measure of Christ. I talked about Hebrews 12.10. It says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. How many know we can't earn holiness? We can't be good enough. We can't do a good en- uh, enough good things to become holy. But God says, I, I'm holy and I'll share my holiness with you. And he says, I'll share my holiness to everyone who's willing to be trained. Everyone who's willing to be disciplined. That's what that scripture says. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. We talked about discipline is not punishment. How many know in Christ you are unpunishable? Why? Because God is just. Jesus was already punished on the cross on your behalf. So you have now become in Christ unpunishable. God's not going to punish you for sins that Jesus was always already punished for. Amen? We talked about discipline is not punishment, but it's uh, training and discipleship. I talked about letting God disciple us and the importance of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. 
And we, all, we also talked about the value of community. By the way, God uses those three things to heal us and to grow us. If you want to know, if you want to grow, and you want to know the main things that God uses to heal us, those are the three things. He wants to train you and disciple you personally with that one-on-one relationship. He wants to, you to have spiritual mothers and fathers in your life, and that includes pastors and teachers that are speaking into your life. And he wants you to be in community, number three, because the Bible says iron sharpens iron, and there's something about James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you be healed. There's something about being in community, being vulnerable, being real in this community that actually brings healing and it brings growth. So God wants you to step into the fullness of all that he has for you. But your breakthrough and your promotion are on the other side of training and discipleship. So are you teachable? Are you willing to be discipled by God? Are you willing to be discipled by spiritual fathers and mothers? Are you willing to be vulnerable and real in community? And again, this doesn't have anything to do with God's love for us. You're completely and wholly loved already. You start out wholly and fully loved. You start out fully a son of God. You're not trying to earn sonship. This is not about any of that. This is about becoming everything that God's called you to be. This is about growing. So God wants us to grow so that we can steward his blessings. God wants to bless you. That's why I love our tithing declarations. Like, he wants to bless you financially. He wants to bless you in every way. But he, how many know he won't bless you financially if he knows that, like, We've all heard the stories of people who win the lottery and they like their whole life's destroyed. They just plane crash their whole life after this, these events happen. So God's not going to drop a million dollars on your lap if he knows it's going to destroy you because you haven't stewarded in your heart how to handle finances. And the same applies with every blessing. It's like, man, God wants to bless you. If you're a leader and you want to go to higher and higher levels of leadership, learn to steward where you're at right now, even if it's just the lowest point of leadership. Steward that really well, and God will promote you to higher and higher levels of leadership. So I want to continue on in this theme today and touch on just a couple more points So God wants to grow us into powerful people that can handle all that he wants to give us. He wants us to be powerful. We talked about testing last week. The thing to know about testing, a couple things to know about God's testing is, number one, he'll never make you sick to test you. He'll never take one of your children to test you. That's insane to think that way. But the thing to, also the thing to remember about testing is he wants you to pass. Like God puts these tests in front of us so that we can go to higher and higher levels. We see that, we know that with our children. They go to school and they pass the test so that they can go to the next grade. And so it's, it's the same thing with us. Could you hand me my water? Thank you. One of them. Okay. Might be drinking random water here. Bless it, Jesus. Okay, so God wants you to be powerful. He's on your side. He already sees you in your most perfect light, and he'll call that out in you. 
That, by the way, that's a job of spiritual mothers and fathers is to like look at someone and be like, what's the greatness? And, and call it out. Call it out in them. So that's what God does for us. He wants us to be great. He wants us to be powerful. So what does it look like to become powerful? If you do a Google search of powerful people, it's going to give you a list of people, because I did it yesterday. It gives you a list of people that have a whole lot of money. But God's definition of powerful people looks different. So what does it mean to be a powerful person? So I have three things I want to give you today. What does it look like to be powerful? Number one, powerful people take personal responsibility. Powerful people take personal responsibility. So if we struggle with a victim mindset, it usually comes packaged with hopelessness. If we feel like we're a victim, if I believe I'm a victim of my spouse, I'm a victim of my boss, I'm a victim of my leaders, I'm a victim of my government, then it usually comes with hopelessness because I believe, I, I really kind of believe I don't have any power to change or affect anything. I'm just a victim. Life is just happening to me. I can't change anything. And it comes with this feeling or spirit of hopelessness. So a victim mindset or a victim spirit will leave you feeling hopeless. And the opposite of a victim mentality or a victim spirit is taking personal responsibility for your life. So a powerful person believes this. There's many things that I can't control, including other people. By the way, not even God controls other people. So we really need to resist any urge to control people or to manipulate people that, you know, our children or people that we're in leadership over. Not even God does that. One of the definitions of witchcraft is control. Because witchcraft is something that's actually going against God, like his nature. It's like something that's completely opposite to his nature. And so God gives us free will and he will not control us. And part of what witchcraft is, is actually controlling people. So we need to resist the urge to control people. Not even God does that. So a powerful person thinks like this. There's many things I can't control, including other people. But I'm not going to focus on what I uh, but I'm going to focus on what I can control, and that's me. I can control me. I'm not going to control other people. I can't do that. Man, that's, by the way, it's really frustrating if you try to control other people. Because <laughs> you realize really quickly, like, man, I just can't control other people. They're, they're going to do what they want to do. But you can control you. Being powerful doesn't mean you have control over a bunch of people. Being powerful means you have control over yourself. This is being powerful. Being powerful is you can tell you what to do and do it. That's actually someone who's powerful. I can tell me what to do and do that. Okay, I want you to get this. This next point, this, is, this will change your life right here. The mantra of a powerful person is this. I'm not waiting for other people to do what they're supposed to do. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not waiting 
for what other people, or I'm not waiting for other people to do what they're supposed to do. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. You get to decide who you're going to be regardless of what other people do. In your marriage, don't wait for your spouse to do what they're supposed to do. You do what you're supposed to do. Stop holding them, like putting them in charge of your emotion, your behavior. Like you do what you're supposed to do in the eyes of God. Stop waiting for them to do what they're supposed to do. At your job, don't wait for your boss or your coworkers to do what they're supposed to do. You do what you're supposed to do. This is what it looks like to be powerful. As parents, don't wait for your children to behave right. Don't wait for your children to do what they're supposed to do. I, I looked at you, Tia, my daughter. I looked at you totally inadvertently. <laughs> I didn't mean, she's like an amazing daughter, by the way. <laughs> I looked at her and she just kind of gave me a look like, are you talking to me? Don't wait for your children to do what they're supposed to do. You do what you're supposed to do. Decide what kind of parent you're going to be. And we're actually reflecting the nature of God. You know, God loves us and he parents us. And his behavior towards us does not change dependent on our behavior. Does that make sense? He's not waiting for us to do something for him to be who he is. He's always who he is. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Hebrews 13. Amen? So Jesus, he was always Jesus everywhere he went. He always was the same amount of, of love and powerful and kindness, and it didn't matter how other people responded to it. He didn't change his behavior based on other people's behavior. So this is how God behaves. His love and his actions isn't dependent on our behavior. So if you want to change your life, don't wait for other people to do what they're supposed to do. You do what you're supposed to do. So if your love is based on other people's actions, then everyone around you has power over you. Everyone around you has some control or power over you if you're basing what, who you're going to be based on what they're going to do. You're giving everybody around you power over you. How many, how many know David Wilkerson? Wilkerson? He's the founder of, of Teen Challenge. I think he passed away a few years ago. Um, he was an amazing evangelist. And uh, how many read that book, The Cross and the Switchblade? Anybody, yeah, a few people read that. So you remember that there are part in the book where he's actually doing street ministry and he's, he's witnessing to Nikki Cruz, who bec he became a great evangelist himself. But at the time, Nikki Cruz was a gang member. And Nikki Cruz was a scary individual at this time. And he's just witnessing to him, and he just, Nikki Cruz wants nothing to do with David Wilkerson or Christianity. And he goes, man, you need to leave me alone, or I am going to cut you. I'm going to kill you. He's like, he pulls out a knife. He's like, I will kill you. And David said, David Wilkerson says, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces, and every piece will cry out, I love you. That's powerful love. It doesn't matter what you threaten me with, what you're going to do to me. I determine to love you. I will love you regardless of how you respond to it. That's a powerful person. So we want to become powerful people who can truly love. Matthew 5.46, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, 
What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? There's some interesting things there. The implication there is there's actually a reward for loving people who don't love you back. He says, if, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? That's, he's implying if you're able to love past people who just love you, there's actually a reward there. That anybody can love those who love them. That's what Jesus is saying. Powerful love goes beyond that. Powerful love says, I choose to love regardless of anybody else's response. As a, as a father, one of the main things I want to communicate to my kids is my love for you is not dependent on your behavior. My love for you is I love you, I'm proud of you because you're my son, because you're my daughter. It's not dependent on you. If you want to create rebellion in the heart of your children really quickly, show them that your love is dependent on their behavior. Because something inside of their heart says, this is wrong. Like, my mom, my dad should just love me. Like, I shouldn't have to earn it. And it creates rebellion, or it'll create really passive children who will have many issues later. Conditional love. It's a really bad thing, especially in parenting. And one of the things we want to communicate as parents is, my love for you doesn't change based on your behavior. So part of taking personal responsibility is this. I'm not waiting for other people to do what they're supposed to do. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's what it looks like to be powerful. No one is responsible for your actions but you. Regardless of what your life has been like, no one's responsible for your actions but you. You're the only one that will answer to your actions at the end of your life. So party, part of maturing and growing in the Lord is just taking full responsibility for your life. Like, man, it's, it's a powerful thing. One of the first things in Teen Challenge, they teach them is to take responsibility because they're like, they can come in with this attitude of like, well, this happened to me and that happened to me and that's why I'm in this position. And one of the very first things they teach them is like, no, you're in this position because of the decisions that you made. Like, I can sympathize and empathize with what you've been through, but you need to take responsibility for your life because as long as you blame everybody else for you doing what you did and getting where you've gotten, you'll never get out of it. The moment, the first moment of freedom is to say, yeah, I did that. I made a mistake, my fault. Powerful people say, I'm sorry. Yep, I'm sorry. I made us late this morning to rehearse, to get here to rehearse. I'm, I'm sorry. Angela, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking of that. Tia, I'm sorry. It was me. It was me. Powerful people say, I'm sorry. Practice saying, I'm sorry, often. It's very freeing. It's really hard when you're trying not to be wrong all the time and trying to defend all your actions. It feels really good to just be like, yep, my bad. Please forgive me. I'm going to work on that. When you take full responsibility for your life, then you become power powerful to change it. So number one is powerful people take full responsibility. Number two, powerful people forgive. 
I've heard other pastors say this is one of the most difficult subjects to tackle in church. I've heard so many pastors tell me that. Like, man, it's hard to preach about forgiveness because so many people, Christian people, are holding on to something that they haven't fully forgiven. I want to tell you this morning that there's so much freedom in forgiveness, and you can do it. A lot of people give up on it because they're like, well, that's just, it caused me so much pain. I just don't think I can ever fully forgive that. You can do it. There's so much freedom in it. Sometimes forgiveness can be with a person. Sometimes it can be with a whole people group. But you're not meant to live with unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. It's like putting rocks in your backpack and carrying it around everywhere you go, these big heavy rocks. You're not meant to live that way. You are not designed to, to carry unforgiveness, which if you hold on to unforgiveness long enough, it becomes bitterness and bitterness I know many of you probably know exactly what I mean, but it, it looks really ugly on people. You're not meant to carry unforgiveness. You're not meant to carry bitterness. God didn't create you to, to have those things in your life. Hebrews 12 talks about roots of bitterness growing inside of us that defile many. So how many understand that unforgiveness and bitterness it's not just going to affect you and the person that you're upset with or the people group that you're upset with. It's going to affect every single relationship in your life, especially when it gets to bitterness. Bitterness is not just affecting that person or you. It's affecting every, everybody. It's affecting every relationship. The Hebrews 12 says it's going to defile many. It says don't let your heart get bitter because it's going to defile every relationship around you. Unforgiveness held too long becomes bitterness. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. There's been times in my life where it's been hard to forgive, and I just begin to meditate on all that God's forgiven me for. Not to go into a place of shame or condemnation, but just to, be, to go into a place of thankfulness. Like, wow, God, look what you've forgiven me for. Look what you've brought me out of. Everything I've ever done wrong, every person I've ever hurt, inadvertently or on purpose, you've completely forgiven me for it. I just remind myself like what God's done in my life. By the way, God demonstrates what it's like to be powerful and that he chooses to forgive us no matter what we've done. He chooses to forgive us. That's a powerful person chooses to forgive even when it's difficult. A powerful person chooses to forgive even if it's an act of their will. So I learned this in my life years ago. Someone hurt me really bad. And I came to a point where I realized I was going to have to determine to forgive this person because it wasn't coming easily. And I was like, I'm determined to forgive this person. I will not live in unforgiveness and bitterness. I am not going to do that. I will forgive this person. And so I just became, I had to get like serious about determining to forgive this person. And I just began to pray for them every single day. 
Every single day, I just pray for him. God, I, for, I forgive this person. I release this person from judgment, and I bless this person. I would actually pray blessings over him. I just, Lord, I bless this, I bless that, bless the person. I did that for a year, pretty much every single day for a year, and it still, and it still had, I still had like the the pain. I still kind of felt that pain, and so that's where I was like, I, I've, I'm saying the words that forgive them, but I still kind of feel like, like that pain, you know? So I kept just praying. And after about a year, one morning I was, just did my normal, Lord, I forgive this person. I release them from judgment. I bless this person. I started blessing them. And all of a sudden, this supernatural compassion just flooded me. Supernatural compassion. I, I saw this person in a way that I'd never seen him before. And it's like God showed me his heart for this person. And I just like... I had this amazing supernatural compassion for this person, and simultaneously, all that pain finally lifted. And it was like, I finally truly forgave that person with my whole heart. Like, that's, that's what we want, right? We don't just want it to be a word that we say, but we want to forgive with our whole heart so we're not carrying pain and bitterness. And that was the moment that I stopped praying for them. I knew God had released me. He's like, you've forgiven them. You can do it, but sometimes you might have to get serious and be like, I determine to forgive this person as an act of my will. I would even say that in my prayer. God, as I still feel this pain, but as an act of my will, I choose to forgive this person. I am not going to hold on to this. If you've ever met someone who is old and bitter, and you can just feel the anger and the bitterness just radiating off them. I'm telling you, they didn't get that way overnight. They didn't get that way overnight. Something happened in their life that someone hurt them or they were hurt by a situation or they perceived someone hurting them and they just never could forgive it. Christians too, unsaved and Christians. They just never could fully forgive it. And this bitterness just grows and grows and grows and grows. You don't get that way overnight. It's something that grows in your heart, something that we need to watch and guard against. So what does it look like to be powerful? Number one, powerful people take personal responsibility. Number two, powerful people forgive Number three, powerful people control their thoughts. Powerful people control their thought life. I want to read 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, casting down arguments... So that word arguments and other translations, it says speculations, imaginations, reasonings. One translation says deceptive fantasies. Casting down arguments, speculations, imaginations, reasonings, deceptive fantasies, and every high thing. High thing is another translation. Other translation says lofty opinions, presumptions, arrogant attitudes, casting down Every argument, 
Every speculation, imagination, reasonings, deceptive fantasy, and every high thing, lofty opinion, presumption, arrogant attitudes that do what? That exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? That is what God says to be true. It's what God knows to be true. Every one of those things, reasonings, imaginations, high things, intellectual arrogance, one's translation says, all those things that rage against what God says to be true. We bring every one of those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Everything that wars against what God says, we bring those thoughts into captivity. So two points I want to give you under this. Powerful people control their thought life. Two points I want to give you. I can't control every thought that enters my mind. Number one is this. I can't control every thought that enters my mind, but I can control what I do with it. We can't control the thoughts that come in. There's thoughts all the time coming in, sometimes by the enemy, sometimes by other people. We can't control what comes in, but we can control what we do with that thought. We talk about, this, this is one of the most powerful things for me that has helped me in this area. We talk about laughing at lies at, at our church a lot. And it's something that just brought so much breakthrough in my life and I know my wife's life. And so it looks like this. Basically, laughing at lies is taking those thoughts captive. It's like when you've identified, like, for me, it's easy to, easier and easier and easier to identify because I'm, I'm a pretty, like, relatively happy person now. <laughs> I wasn't always like that. But I carry a certain amount of peace pretty much all the time. And when that peace goes, I know, uh-oh, something happened. Something came, a thought came in, something happened. And so I'll start to process with God, like, okay, I'm, I feel discouraged right now. What happened? And be like, yeah, I remember two hours ago when you had that conversation in that conversation, you start to believe something that's not true. That's not what I say. And then we take that thing, you're like, God, God, what lie am I believing? I take that thing and be like, okay, yeah, I think I'm starting to believe this. And I'll literally laugh at it. When you laugh at a lie, when you can say it out loud and say, okay, this is the lie. I'll never have what I need. Like, I'll, I'll never have enough in my finances. Ha, 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 When you begin to laugh at the lie of the enemy, it actually breaks the power that it has over you. Because, you know, the enemy, the only power he can have over you is lies. Is the lies that he can get you to believe. So the second you laugh at a lie, it begins to break the power of that lie. It breaks the power of that lie in your own heart, and it breaks any power that the enemy is trying to gain over you. And so you begin to laugh at the lie. I do this all the time. Ha, 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 ha. And usually I'll start to laugh for real because my fake laugh sounds ridiculous. So I'll be like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I'll really laugh. And this is a very important part, though. This next part is to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I laughed at the lie. What's the truth? What do you say? Because again, I'm taking every thought, reasoning, imagination, every lie of the enemy that wars against what God says, what he knows. So Holy Spirit, what do you say? What do you know? 
about this situation. Finances is a good one. Well, I'm feeling like I'm never going to get ahead in my finances. But what do you say, God? Well, often he'll just use scripture. I say, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Now you've got the truth to war with. Like, okay, this is what I choose to believe. I can't control the thoughts that come in, but I can control what I do with it. So I'm going to take that thought to God and I'm going to put it under the obedience of Christ. I'm going to receive the truth of what God says and I'm going to say, okay, God, this is what I stand on. This is what I believe. So powerful. Changed my life. Radically changed my life. Got discouragement. Just kicked discouragement out of my life. His word is the only word that won't return void. Every word of the world, every word of the enemy is always going to return void. His word's the one I want to know. It's not going to return void. Okay, so the second point underneath, powerful people control their thoughts. Number one was I can't control the thoughts that come in, but I can control what I do with them. Number two is I can't control every thought that enters my mind, but I can control what I focus on. I can control where I set my focus. The Bible talks about setting your heart, setting your focus. It, it talks about intention. Like I'm going to purposely set my focus on the Lord. I'm going to purposely set my focus on what Philippians 4.8 says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, wow, invented a new word. Praiseworthy, think about, meditate on, this is different translations, dwell on, fill your minds with these things. Meditate on it, think about it, dwell on it, fill your mind with these things. Whatsoever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Dr. Caroline Leaf says this, we are directly responsible for what we choose to think about and dwell on, and we make these decisions in the privacy of our own thinking. We're directly responsible for what we choose to put our mind on. I can't control the thoughts that come in, but I can control what I focus on. Don't focus on the problem. 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 Let me give you a math equation. Your mind set on the problems equals anxiety, fear, stress, and ultimately depression. Let me give you another equation. Your mind set on what God says what he says to focus on equals peace and a sound mind. Now, we can go to battle with unrighteousness, and we should do that. We can go to battle with injustice, and we absolutely need to do that. But we need to war from a place of peace. I'm in a war from a place of peace. We need to battle injustice. We need to go after those things, especially, you know, so many of us have something on our heart that's like an injustice in the world. I know my daughter has, has some things on her heart that's just like, wow, this is just 
wrong, and, we, and this needs to be changed. Like, the kingdom of heaven needs to come in these areas, and I know so many of you have things like that, and those are awesome things. I believe God put those things in your heart, but you want a war from a place of peace. We're going to come, and we're going to bring the kingdom, but the only way I can bring the kingdom is from that place seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Then I'm in a position to bring the kingdom with my mind focused on heavenly things, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? So that you can bring the kingdom of heaven to the problems. Amen. That was good, Pastor Daniel. Good point. We war from the heavenlies, we're receded with Jesus Christ. Amen. I feel like God wants us to grow. Like, you know, there's so many things going on. This has been such a crazy year. This has been probably the craziest year I can remember in my life. Just with, with world events, what's been happening. At the same time, do you know our church has just prospered this year? Our church has grown. Our finances went up, like, during the pandemic, our finances went up. Our church grew. So many people in our church um, were like, man, I'm getting more. I know, I know a couple businessmen that are like, I'm getting more clients. I know, I know other people that were like, I got a raise. I know I, several people, probably three or four people that came and said, hey, I want to give to people in need during this time. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. And we have a way to do that. And we've had very little need. Very li- we had far more people offering to help than we had need, like far more. So, the, but there, you know, it's, it's awesome that that's been kind of our experience in our church. And I know there's been people that have went through hard stuff, absolutely. But God is, I think he's emphasizing on this time, in this time right now, keep your hope, keep your trust, keep your focus on me. Keep your mindset on me. You decide who you're going to be, regardless of what anybody else is doing, regardless of what's happening in the world. I, I do these daily declarations from Steve Backlund, and one of them today was, my joy is constantly thriving, even during crazy world events or something like that. <laughs> and it was written like a few years ago. But I was like, man, that's applicable for right now. It's like, my joy is growing even when the world is in, in chaos. And that's the place where we can live, where we war from that place of, of joy, seated in heavenly places. Would you stand with me this morning? <laughs>